Galatians chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5. So we are going through the book of Galatians. Uh, we just got started last week and we covered one verse, so we really hadn't missed anything um, if, you're, if you're new here today. Now, as we mentioned last week, and we will mention this again and again as we go throughout this study, Galatians is a, is a short book. It's only six chapters. Um, and it exalts really the two central truths of Christianity. And that is, number one, the cross of Christ is the only way a person can get right with God. There is no other way. There is no other gospel. There is no other religion. There is no other path. There is no other door. There is one way, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Number two, once you are saved, the Spirit of Christ is the only way you can obey God. If you want to live the Christian life, you do it one way, and that's through the Spirit of God. You don't do it through discipline. You don't do it through will. You don't do it through any of your own uh, machinations or anything at all. You do it through the Spirit of God. And Paul is going to, going to drive these two things home over and over and over again uh, throughout, this, um, uh, throughout this study. So to Paul, anything that diminishes that, anything that diminishes the, the, the importance and the beauty of the cross of Christ, Paul said that's accursed or, or, or anathema. And anything that puts our willing or our working, our doing ahead of the Spirit of Christ, Paul says if you're doing that, you've been bewitched. Um, and he'll talk about that a little more. And so as you read this letter we said last week, you can't read ten verses without seeing that, man, something very important is at stake in this verse. And... Um, uh, in this in this uh, uh, in this book, and Paul, I mean, he is just—he's very adamant. He's very um, uh, um, vigorous about his denunciation of what's going on, and we'll see that as we go through the following um, weeks and months. Let's start with the first five verses, Galatians one, one through five. It says this: Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. <coughs> but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, although verse, verses 1 through 5 is kind of a formal greeting, Paul gets right down... Uh, to business. Verses 1 and 2 are going to claim authority for what he's going to be writing for his message, and verses 3 through 5 is going to give us a brief summary uh, of that message. In other words, the greeting is a preview of the whole letter. So let's look uh, a little closer at what Paul uh, says. Look at verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ uh, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now you remember last week we said that in verse 1, Paul calls himself an apostle. What does the word apostle mean in the Greek? It means one who is, who is sent. That's all it means. It means a, a, a message. Huh? Or a representative. Or a what? A representative. A representative, a messenger, something like that. Uh, now keep in mind, in the New Testament, the word apostle has two meanings. Uh, well, it has the same meaning, but it has a general and a specific meaning. In a general sense, it can be anyone who is sent as a messenger or a representative of a church. Okay, so a lot of times 
they would take up an offering, they would, they would assign it to one man, and they'd say, take this offering to Jerusalem. That man was an apostle, he was a messenger, he was, he was one who was sent. But in the first verse, Paul's going to deny very quickly, I'm not that kind of a messenger. I'm not just a messenger in a general sense. Uh, look what he says, I'm an apostle, and he stops and he says, not from men nor through man. So he says really quickly, don't, don't group me in with those people who are sent out as representatives from their churches. I'm not one of those men. I'm a different type of, of apostle. In fact, he says I'm apostle in a very particular sense. I'm a messenger, but I've been sent not from a church. I've been not through man, but I've been sent through Jesus Christ and God the Father. In other words, I'm on a mission but the one who sent me is not a group of men or an organization or a church. It's Jesus Christ and God the, God the Father. Now, as we said last week, stop and think about that for just a second because the implications for it are pretty incredible. First, it means that when you're reading Galatians, you are reading the words of Jesus. Let me say that again. If Paul is really a messenger sent from Jesus Christ then when you read Galatians, you're reading the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus wants to say to you and I. It isn't just Paul. It isn't just some guy who's a smart theologian. These are the words of Jesus. Okay? And because an apostle like Paul speaks with the authority of the one who sent him. So he's speaking the very words of the king of kings. And therefore, by the way, if you believe that, then should we submit to that? Absolutely, we should submit, uh, submit to its authority as if it's Jesus himself. Number two, if we really believe that these are the words of Jesus, then we're not going to settle for some hazy notion of what this means. We're not going to come in and say, guys, I, you know, I really don't know what that means, let's just move on. No, we're going we're gonna to dig in and we're going to study and we're going to meditate on it and we're going to stare at it until we figure out what it means. Because if it's the words of Jesus, it's important. It's got, I mean, it's life-giving. It's the words of Jesus. And by the way, once we understand it, we're going to submit ourselves to it in our, in our hearts and minds and in our, in our lives. Uh, let's move on. Galatians 1-2, Paul says, and all the brothers who are with me. So one more thing he says, by the way, all the brothers who are with me, they endorse my message. Not only am I an apostle sent from Jesus Christ, I have the very words of Jesus himself, but all the brothers who are with me also endorse my message. So by the way, Paul's not some lone wolf. He's not some guy out on the proverbial island by himself. Uh, he says, look, I've got a group of brothers here that are with me, and they're behind me in my message to you, Okay, which is going to be uh, important as we, as we move ahead. One more quick thing. We mentioned this last week. He's writing to the churches of Galatia, not the church of Galatia. Remember, Galatia is what? Is it a city? What is it? It's a Roman province. It's a, it's a big area. It's like riding to the, it's, it's like the state of Florida, right? So he's, uh, he's riding to the churches that are in this area. So there were churches like uh, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, as well as some other churches further north. So keep in mind what he's writing about. There's some issues in the churches. That's why he's writing. And it wasn't just one church. He's saying, I'm writing to the churches in Wakula County, or I'm writing to the churches in the state of Florida. It's more than one congregation. In fact, the letter was meant to be read in, in more than one congregation. So the, the teaching that he's opposing here is fairly uh, widespread. Now, let's look at verses. We're going to spend the rest of the lesson looking at verses 3 through 5. 
And then we're going to tie it back to verse 1. So Paul says in verses 3-5, through five, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's going to say something. Who gave himself for our sins, and this is what we're going to focus on today, to deliver us from the present evil age. Okay? According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Um, amen. Now, that word deliver means what? means to rescue or to save. Alright? So, by the way, think about that. When a person requires... Re- if you require rescuing, can you help yourself? No. Anytime you require rescuing, that means you've, you've exhausted... There's nothing else you can do. Okay? You need somebody to take the initiate, initiative and come and get you out of the situation um, that, that you're in. So, what Paul is saying is that you and I were in some kind of situation that we needed rescuing from. We couldn't do anything about it. There was no power in ourselves to rescue or save ourselves. And so Jesus Himself had to rescue us or deliver us or save us from this um, predicament. So that's what He did. Uh, he died, Paul says, to uh, gave Himself to save us or to rescue us. Now, from what? Well, we know that Jesus died for our sins, that we don't have to go to hell. We know that Jesus died for our sins to save us from the wrath of God. But Paul says something a little bit different today. He says that He also died for our sins to deliver us from what? This present evil age. By the way, that means this present evil age is 2015. Not the the evil age to come, but He says what? This present evil age. That means Jesus died on the cross to rescue us from something in this evil age. Not not just from the wrath of God, not just from eternity in hell, but something here and now that Paul calls this present evil age. By the way, before we go much further, why did he do it? You can't miss this. He says he did it according to the will of our God and Father. He did it because he... Wanted to. One of my favorite scriptures, Psalms 115.3, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He wants to do. I love that scripture. Our God is in the heaven. He does whatever He pleases. He wanted, he wanted to rescue you, so He did it. He took the initiative when you couldn't do anything uh, for yourself. Now, let's talk about this present evil age. Why would you think that this present evil age is considered evil? Okay, there's always evil in the world. But what about it? What makes it what makes it evil? Okay, very good. Because one thing we know is that Satan is given a significant amount of power in this uh, in this world. Um, it, and basically, so what we're going to talk about here is two. We'll just talk about 2015. Obviously, we could replace this next year with 2016, 2017, if we make it that far. 2015 is an evil age. Because sin has such a grip on people's lives. And, and, it, and not only our lives, but our institutions. Our, it's got a grip on our entertainment. It's got a grip on our government. It's got a grip on our social institutions. Primarily, as Joanne said, because Satan is allowed to have so much power. Right? Look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age. The God of what age? This age. This age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. I'm sorry to interrupt, Billy. When you're you saying primarily because Satan is allowed to have so much power, why is he allowed to have so much power? Well, that's a good one, isn't it? Because obviously we'd have to go way back 
to the uh, to the beginning of time to Adam and Eve, where Adam and Eve, you know, everything was fine. Satan wasn't given any power, and all of a sudden they they fell. They obeyed him, and basically, you know, for a period of time, God gave him power. Now, keep in mind, and I'm going to say this over and over again. Satan does absolutely nothing without God's permission. I want everybody to understand that. We do not live in a world where Satan and God are, are, have the same power and they're always fighting. There's this idea out there that it's good and evil, right? Light and darkness, and they're fighting. That's not the way it is. God is here. Satan is here. Go back to Job. He didn't touch Job until he what did what? He got permission. He cannot touch you without God's permission. Cannot do it. Okay, so yes. I have a question. Sure. Um, because there are people out there who don't believe, but they read the Bible um, and then try to throw it back at us. That says the God of this age. I'm mm-hmm. just thinking someone who doesn't understand little G. You know, that's so right. They saying Satan is the god of the. That's right. So that's what Paul okay. is saying. Paul calls him the god of this age, right? With a little g. By the way, the same way that anything in your life that that you make anything in your life that you put ahead of Jesus Christ is your god, okay. right? Be your hobbies. It can be your family. It can be your church. Be anything. You put it ahead of Jesus. You've made it a god with a little g. You've worshipped it. You've put. You, does that make sense to everybody? Just God with a little g. That's what he's saying here. He's the God of this age. He's not the God, right? But he's the, he's the, he's the king. He's the leader. He's, he's powerful in a sense that he's the God of this age. By the way, and it says he has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's one of the reasons they can read the Bible, but they don't see. Notice what he keeps them... Now, this is very important. Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? Okay. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. See, he blinds their minds. They can read this Bible. Okay, I remember, I, you know, I've told you this, when I was in college, I, I, took, uh, uh, I took some uh, religion classes. I took Introduction to Old Testament. And my, my, the teacher was a professor. His name was Dr. Priest. I still remember that because that's easy to remember, right? And he knew the Bible better than I did. But he didn't know the Bible at all. It only took me a week to figure out this guy's. He's, he, he's reading the same thing I am. He has no idea what's in it. Does that make sense? I mean, he could quote it. He, under, he could read it. He understood it to an extent. But his mind was blind to the glory of Jesus Christ. So, this, so this, you know, people can read this. But what happens, Satan has blinded their minds. They cannot see Jesus for who he really is. They cannot see his beauty, his majesty, his glory. They can read the Bible. They might even know it better than you and quote it better than you. But they don't see Him. That's what He's blinded to. And by the way, once our minds are blinded like that as unbelievers, when you think about it, as unbelievers, you're enslaved to things like fear and guilt and anger and pessimism and selfishness and lust and greed and pride, right? I mean, these are all the things that unbelievers are are enslaved to. By the way, this is how Paul... I'm sorry, the Apostle John describes the world. 1 John 2.16, he says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So that's what unbelievers are called up in. We're called up in the desires of the flesh. 
right? If you before you were saved, that's what you chased after. That's what you went after. The desires of the eyes. What do I want? What do I need? What do I think? Right? It's all about me, 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 me. You can't see Jesus. God's not even... He might be in the picture over here a little bit, but He don't control anything. He's not in your thoughts when you make a decision. It's not what does God think. It's what do I think. Um, 1 John 2.16, I'm, I'm sorry, it goes on and says this. In the New Living Translation, it says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but is from the world. So as an unbeliever, we're blinded to the glory of Jesus, and we're called up in the physical. What do I want? What do I think? What do I need? Right? It's all about pleasures and achievements and possessions. And we're blinded to a different way. We can't even see it. I mean, you all know people like this, right? They're just caught up in this endless cycle. And you look and say, how can they not get out of that? How can they not? And they don't, because they don't see it. They don't see that there's anything better. They can't. Because the God of this age has, has blinded them. Now, what does it mean then? If, 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 how many of us know people that are caught up and they just can't seem to get out of it, right? We all do. We were there at one time. So what does it mean to be delivered from this present evil age? If that's what it means to be caught up in the present evil age, and not even to be able to see Jesus for who He is, to be caught up in all just stuff, right? Then what does it mean to be delivered from that? That you can see what? That you can see Jesus? What else does it mean? The true meaning. Okay, the true mean, now you can see the true meaning of His Word. Okay, the light of His glory. Everything else moves back. See, for those who trust Christ, a freedom, a liberation, a rescue has taken place, right? We know that. Colossians 1.13 says, God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness or the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Corinthians 5.17 says it this way, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Hebrews 6, 5 says, we have, now I love this one, we have tasted the power of the age to come. We know as a Christian, you've been, something's happened and all of a sudden you realize it's not all about this age. There's something else coming. And you've seen the age to come and, you, and your life, the focus of your life changes from this age to that age. Right? Now, here's the point though. As obvious as it is for me to say it, this transfer or this change does not occur to us physically, does it? Because I'm still standing here in Walker County, whatever the date is, August something. Um, uh, this morning, I'm here physically, right? Remember when Jesus prayed in John 17, 5, when He prayed for His disciples, He said this, My prayer is not that you'll take them out of the world, but you'll keep them from the evil one. So when we become Christians and we become rescued or saved or delivered, that doesn't mean that we're physically taken out of the world, does it? Obviously because we're here. So how then are you kept from the evil of the present age? In other words, what, how are we rescued? By the Spirit. Okay, by the Spirit. That's how it's done. But I mean, what changes? By virtue of the Holy Spirit being in us, we have uh, the power to live Above or beyond our circumstances. Okay. When you see this, there's a sense of purpose that you never see 
Okay. Okay. So here's what I want to get to. Romans, and I want to tell you how this works so that you understand it, okay? Romans 12.2 is the key. Paul writes this in Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to what? This age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay? So yes, it's done through the power of the Spirit. Yes, there's a change, but I want to dig down to the, and actually look at how it happens. What, what changes inside of you that makes you taste the, the new age? What, what turns you away from this age? So what happens when we're saved or rescued or delivered, it's a, a Christian, we're no longer enslaved to those things. We're no longer enslaved to fear or guilt or anger or pessimism or selfishness or lust or greed or pride. The freedom from those things occurs because something happens to our minds. There's a transformation, a change, not physical, right? Because we're still here. It happens in our minds. Okay? Now let's move on here. Let's look first. Let's look at Romans 12, 2 again. Paul says, do not be conformed, but be what? All right, that word transformed, I put a little picture of a butterfly up there. The reason I did that, because that word transformed is the Greek word metamorphosis. And what is, where does, what is that? There's an English word called what? Metamorphosis, exactly right. We, we use that when you change from a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's the same word. Paul says your mind is metamorphosized. It is transformed. It is changed from one thing to another. It's completely transformed, okay? Um, and the key, Now, what I want you guys to understand about this, and we, we covered this back in our Roman study, this transformation that occurs to us as Christians is not just external. Okay? By the way, is it external? Yeah. It should be. Yeah. If, I, if you're saved today and I see you in five years, you, I, you should act different. Shouldn't you? Yeah. I would hope. <laughs> Something about you is different. Um, but what I want you to see is, is this. Being conformed, not being conformed to the world doesn't just mean you change your outside behavior. Okay, again, that's included, but you can avoid all kinds of worldly behaviors and not be transformed. I've seen people with great discipline quit drinking, but they're the same unbeliever they were before they quit drinking. They quit drinking, but they've not been transformed on the inside. So there is a sense that through self-discipline or hard work or fear or whatever the thing may be, you can motivate yourself in some way to change the outside, but you haven't been changed on the inside. You haven't been transformed. Transform, transformation is not just switching from a to-do list of the flesh to a to-do list of the law. That's what the Jews did. They had a nice law, and they said, we're going to obey this law. We're going to obey these, these rules and regulations, but had they, were they changed on the inside? Not at all. So you can, you, can, you can decide today, man, I'm going to get up every morning, I'm going to go to the soup kitchen, I'm going to go work with the homeless, I'm going to do all these things, and on the inside you're the same rotten person you've always been. And by the way, you're doing it for the totally wrong reasons. Jesus said to the Pharisees, on the outside you're whitewashed tombs, but on the inside you're full of rot and filth and dead men's bones. Nothing's changed on the inside. You just look pretty on the outside. So a, the Christian alternative to a moral behavior is not a new list of moral behaviors. That's not what we're talking about here. By the way, later in this same 
probably the most famous passage in Galatians, in Galatians 5, when Paul replaces the works of the flesh, he doesn't replace it with the works of the Spirit, does he? In fact, he replaces it with what? The fruit of the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, and by the way, he goes on, he talks about drunkenness and all these other things, but he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, God, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no um, law. So what we want to point out here is the Christian transformation is not just an external change from immoral behaviors to a new list of moral behaviors. It is a change from the inside out. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.16, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed, changed, transformed day by day. The change comes from the inside out. It never happens from the outside in. If someone wants to really change, it has to come from the inside out, which is what Christ does. So what is the source of this change? Well, it comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.6 says this, "...who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills." The letter, rules, regulations, law, they will kill you. Why? Because they make you think you're okay. But in the end, you're on the same road to hell that you were before. It will kill you. But the Spirit gives life. So transformation, real transformation, is a, is a profound, blood-bought, spirit-wrought change from the inside out. By the way, that's why the Christian life is described as free. Because true freedom is when you love to do what you should do. How many people are walking around doing the right things, but they don't really want to do it? I mean, how many every day is a struggle? Because they really want to be over there. In their minds, by the way, they're over there. But in body, because of discipline or fear or what their family will say or what people say, they're, they're, in this, they're living this life and they look good. But in their minds and hearts, they'd much rather be over there. Right? That's a, by the way, that's a miserable way to live. Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Either be over there or over here. But don't get caught in the middle. That's the worst way to live, by the way. And until you, and until you do that, you're not going to have any fruits. Because you're not real. You're not real. That, that transformation isn't real. You're, like, you're, you're one of those trees that stick plastic fruit on. And everybody walks in Sunday morning and they say, wow, she looks, man, she's a real Christian. And it's because they don't look, they don't know you, by the way. They don't go home with you. They don't see you every day. They don't see what you read, what you watch, how you interact with your family, your co- Anybody see, we don't see all that. Because if we did and we looked real close, we'd see all that's just plastic. It's not real at all. And Miss Beth's right. Until you're real, until you're transferred from the inside, that's where the fruits of the Spirit come from. Other than that, it's just... Uh, it, it. So that's what true freedom is. Loving to do what you ought to do. And that's what this transformation is in a nutshell. Being changed to the point where you love to do the things that you should do. That's your, that's, that's your passion. And that's, that's the goal for all of us. Now, Paul in Romans 12 too, will focus on the essential... How, do, how are we transformed? And he says this, Be transformed by the renewal of your mind by changing the way that you think. Okay, that's what the renewal of your mind means, by changing the way you think. Now this raises a question, why does our mind need to be changed? What's wrong with our minds? 
What's wrong with the mind of an unbeliever that it needs to be changed or, or transformed? Now, in short, and we talk about this all the time, when you are born into this world, we say this all the time and it's true, you know, I got a little granddaughter and she's, she's six months old, and they look so pure and innocent, don't they? But what we have to understand is her mind is already broken. She's born into this world anti-God. Every person is born into this world with as, as innocent as they look. Their mind is already anti-God. Take any little kid. You do not have to teach them. It's all about you, honey. They come into this world thinking it's all about me. Do they not? They are as selfish. They are as selfish as they go. And if you do not beat that out of them, they will grow up <laughs> to be selfish. You got to, you got to, you got to shape that. You got to beat it out of them, right? Let's just face it. Nah, you know, I'm not going to be her. You know that, right? Um, look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians two fourteen. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolish to him. By the way, watch this neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. In your natural state, you, you, don't, you cannot know the things of God. See what he says? He doesn't say it's almost impossible to do it or it's near impossible to do it. He says you cannot do it because they're spiritually discerned. You are born into this world spiritually dead. That means you have no... Everything about you is me, 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 me. You have no spiritual connection to God whatsoever. You are spiritually dead. You can't know Him. You can't see Him. By the way, you can think about Him, but it's all done in your context, right? That's why we make gods out of trees and posts and, and we say God's in the bushes and in the rabbits and we just do... You think, are y'all insane? Right? Because you're trying to understand God with a, with a natural mind. Romans 8, 7, Paul says it. Watch this again. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God... For it does not submit to God's law. By the way, Paul says, indeed it what? It cannot. It's impossible. It's impossible. Okay? Because you come into this world with a, with a broken mind. By the way, the world understands that people's minds... That, the world understands that we have problems. Right? But the world's answer is what? Education. If we'll just educate people, if we'll just teach them about these things, then they'll know to avoid the behavior. Does that work? No. no. That is the most insane thing in the world. It does not work. You can educate people, educate people, and educate people, and their minds are still... It just doesn't work, right? But that's all the world has to go on. Um, by the way, the Bible has a far more profound analysis. The problem with our mind is not that we don't have all the information we need. The problem is my, with our mind is we're unable to use that information correctly. We don't think right. Give us all the information in the world. If you've got a bad computer, you feed everything into it, you're going to get bad results. We've got a bad computer. There's something broken about our minds. We don't think correctly. So what's wrong with our thinking? Somebody tell me. Selfish. Selfish. It, it, just like I said... With Ella Kate, you know, as, as beautiful as she is and as innocent as she looks, I have to understand as a parent and a grandparent, there's, she's born in this world with something wrong with her thinking. And what's wrong with her thinking is all about her. It's all about her. And by the way, every, every one of us are like that. We cannot think correctly because our mindset is about us. Romans one twenty three, Paul says this, 
we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Our minds are fixated on not seeing God as infinitely worthy of our worship, right? By the way, I, I don't remember where I used this. I grabbed it off an old lesson. The image in the mirror is the image that our natural man wants to worship. That is the constant battle that we fight. You want to worship what's looking at you back in the mirror. That's what you're born into this world, worshiping. It's all about me, right? That's our problem. That's what's broken. Our minds by nature are not God-worshipping minds. They are self-worshipping minds. That's what's wrong with us. And just giving yourself you know, information and more information doesn't change anything. We need to be transformed from a self-worshipper to a, to a God-worshipper. So by nature, our thought processes do not put God first. Our thought processes are me first. What do I think? What do I want? What do I need? By the way, that is the very definition of a debased mind. Paul said this in Romans 1.28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he says God gave them up to a debased mind. A debased mind is a mind that just takes all thoughts of God out of the way and it just turns it all over to you. It's all about you. That's, a, that's the very definition of a debased mind. So, our minds are fundamentally broken in, a way, in the way that we think, and therefore they must be renewed and changed. And by the way, that is first and foremost a work of the Spirit. Titus 3.5, Paul says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. And how did He do it? By the washing of regeneration, and there's that word again, renewal of the Holy Spirit. How are we changed? How are we transformed? It is, it is first and foremost and completely a work of the Holy Spirit. So, here's another question. I'll try to get the air on here. What does the Holy Spirit actually do in order to renew our minds? How does He do it? Somebody tell me. How does He, how does he renew our minds? Huh? The Bible? Okay. By the way, when you're, when you're saved... Whatever day you're saved, whatever the day you were saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and does something miraculous, does He not? He, the Bible says, uh, Jesus said it's, it's what's called regeneration. You've been born again. You've been made a new creature. And what He does, he, he makes you spiritually alive so that now you can actually understand the things that you're reading. You can understand the things that are being said. As you grow, your mind is changing. It's being renewed day by day, right? It's being transformed and changed. How does that process actually work? Does the Holy Spirit just come every day and wave a magic wand over you? or What, what goes on? A, I mean, there's a conviction. You get the quickening of the Spirit, okay. which makes your spirit alive, and then you become aware. There's a, the Bible says that fear of the Lord is the beginning of faith. Okay. So when you fear disappointing the one that you worship, there's a conviction okay. that comes in your heart because you know so, so what, what would that conviction push us to do? Find out more about him. You know, I, you know, when I'm convicted, I know I'm wrong. I know, okay, something's not right, but it should push me to do something else. And, 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 it, and it's usually, okay, what does the Lord want me to do? Absolutely. And by the way, just I've been saved... Over 40 years, it never stops. It will not stop to the day you die. 
you are constantly, as soon as you think you got it all together, the next day he'll show you something inside of you that you're like, I did not even know that was there. <laughs> and if he saved us from us, then we got to learn how to do we got to deny. It's constant, constant looking in that mirror. There's, so, it's, there's something always drawing you back, drawing you back. No, it's not about you. Die to self, die to self, die to self. It's constant. He's constantly doing that. I want to I wanna show you a couple things. By the way, when we leave out of here to do, today, one of the things that's important for me always in every lesson is not just to find out who Jesus is, not just to find out what the Holy Spirit's doing, but what do I need to do? When I walk out of here, how can I apply this to my life? So let's look at this real quick. Remember what Paul said was our fundamental problem. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. We are self-worshippers. Our minds do not see God as glorious and worthy of our lives. That is our fundamental problem. Everybody with me? When we're born into this world. The Holy Spirit's job is to change that, right? To enable us to see the glory of Jesus. He does that by removing a veil. There's a blindness. Remember early on in 2 Corinthians 4.4? It said the God of this world has done what? He's blinded. We can't see the glory of Jesus. Now watch this. This is what the Holy Spirit's job is to do. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we all with unveiled face. Unveiled means what? He's removed the veil. Beholding the glory of what? The Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, what He does, apart from anything we can do, He comes in, He takes the veil away so that we can see what? We can see the glory of Jesus. We, we, we can open, all of a sudden we just see Jesus, man, Jesus, this is a, he, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. How did I not see that a week ago? I didn't know He was so great. I didn't know He loved me so much. I didn't know He was so wonderful. All of a sudden we start seeing that. We see Him for who He is. And by the way, when we do that, it says we are transformed into the same image from one degree of, all of a sudden we become, start to become like Him just by seeing Him. Right? You know, somebody says, we, I don't know if I put this scripture in here. Do you understand there, Jesus tell, tells the parable. I think I put these in here. Yeah, here it is. Look at Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 45 to 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant selling beautiful pearls. When he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let me tell you, when he, when the Holy Spirit removes that veil and you see Jesus, you will buy that field. You will buy that. You cannot turn away from it. For the first time, you see Him for who He really is. You will accept Him. There's no denying it. What kind of idiot would turn away from something that's worth $100 million for something that's worth a penny? Nobody does that. When you see Him for who He is, you accept Him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Everybody with me? He removes that veil. Now, but above all, when we see Him for who He is, it changes the way we think. Our thought process has become God first as opposed to me first. This is how our mind is renewed. By steadfastly gazing at the glory of Christ. I mean, that's, at the end of the day, that's it. We have to see Him for who He is. That changes us. 
profoundly from the inside out, right? By seeing Him for who He really is. Now, we mentioned earlier this transformation, the way we think, is the work of the Holy Spirit. He, by the way, who removes the veil? Holy Spirit does that. Yeah, there's nothing you can do in your life to make that change. He does that. But that brings up a couple of questions. Okay, well, what role do I play? Do I just get up every day and just wait for Him to magically just remove the veil? What is our responsibility? Somebody tell me. What role do we play in this? Do what? Okay, confess Him. But say we've already done that. I've already done that. What's my role today and tomorrow? What should I do? <laughs> study? Pray. Study what? The Bible. Why would I study the Bible? To see Him. Huh? To see Him. That's it. Where You study the Bible to see Him. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. He wants to reveal more and more about Jesus. How's He going to do that? Does he take you out in the middle of the woods and say, look at this tree, Derek? Well, I'm not saying he wouldn't do that, but I'm telling you first and foremost, he wants you to pick up this Bible and read it because this Bible is all... Why are we going through Galatians? Because Galatians is the very words of Jesus. And if I want to see more about how gloryful he... Forget that. How beautiful he is and great he is and all that, then I'm going to read, I'm going to study Galatians. And by the way, I'm not going to go through Galatians in a week. I'm going to stop. And I'm going to, I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going, to, I'm going to stare at it. And if there's something I don't understand, I'm going to stay there until I get it because it's important. It tells me about who He is. Right? Okay, a couple real quick things. Um, remember, in order to... Okay, let me... And I've only got about two or three more. In order to change... In order to change the way we think, the Spirit works in two directions. He works from the outside in, and He works from the inside out. By the way, this is, this is after we've been born again. The first thing He does is He works from the outside in by exposing our mind to Christ-exalting truth. That is, He leads us to hear and understand the truth of Scripture and to meditate on those truths. By the way, that's exactly what the enemy does not want you to do. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.4 again. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those. What it, okay, he's blinded our minds to what? What is it he doesn't want us to see? They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about what? The glory of Christ. He blinds them so they cannot see Jesus for who he is. So what the Spirit does is he lifts the veil and he leads us to the Scripture and says, read this. This is going to tell you about the greatest man that ever lived. Read this, and it's going to tell you about how beautiful He is and how wonderful He is and how great He is. Read this. That's the first thing that He does. But He also has to work from the inside out because you and I, by the way, have another issue that we have to deal with. Ephesians 4, 17-18. Listen to this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Blinded, Right? alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance, there's the lack of knowledge that is in them due to their, what? Hard heart. You see, so there's two things that are going on. He needs to lead us to the Scripture, but at the same time, we've got an inside problem that He has to deal with, and that is we have hard hearts. 
Now, by the way, if you've got a hard heart, there's nothing you can do about that, right? That's a work of God to, to deal with. People are ignorant about who Christ really is even when they hear the truth day after day because their hearts are hard. So the Spirit must work from the inside out, breaking the hard heart that binds and enslaves the mind. And He does this by producing humility within us, a knowledge and submission to who we are in relation to God. So to understand how these two work together, if, if, if the Holy Spirit only gave us truth to our minds, right? Remember Dr. Priest. He had truth in the mind, right? He knew the Bible better than I did, but inside he had a hard heart. So it did him no good, right? It was just knowledge. But on the other hand, if the Holy Spirit came in and, and humbled our heart, but yet He never gave us truth to who Jesus is, then how could we worship Him? He's got to do both. He's got to break up the hard heart, but He's got to give us truth that exalts Jesus Christ so that we turn our worship to, to Him. So let's go back to our questions. What role do we play? What is our responsibility? We do two things. We pursue truth and we pray for humility. You pursue truth and you pray for humility. Let's try, by the way, yes. Sure, no, man. When you're saying that we pray for humility, I mean that we, we understand, so in our minds, we all think it's about us, right? Every, everybody's selfish. Anybody here not? Anybody here not struggle with selfishness still? We all do, right? We all do. So what we have to do is we have to get down every day when we pray and one of the things that we pray for for obviously we pray for other people we pray for whatever we want to pray for one of the things that we pray for is, is sometimes in our life it's me first and God second at the end of the day we want to switch that right God be first in my life give me a heart that submits to you give me a heart that says it's not all about me it's not what do I want what do I think it's all about what do you want? What do you think? That's one of the things Jesus said. Take up your cross and follow me. That cross is a, is a method of execution. In other words, die to yourself. It's not about you, Derek. It's about, it's about Him. And so we have to pray. Because, by the way, you can't change what's on the inside, can we? The Holy Spirit has to do that. So we pray, Holy Spirit, do that inside of me. That's what we're, that's what we're praying for. Yes? say to me a good verse that ties together what you're showing us this morning is 2 Timothy 2.15 and that's that you study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth that's right. and it kind of pulls all that into perspective with that just that one verse that's right and by the way we'll talk about that next week because Paul will immediately after this he says I'm shocked at what y'all are doing talking to the churches I'm shocked 
and, and he's going to go right into what they're doing wrong, and it'll tie back that they're not, they, they, don't, they don't know the Word, and we'll talk about that next week. So those are the two things that you and I do. Number one, we read the Bible. This is the inspired Word of God. These are the words of Jesus. Okay, So we read that. And number two, we pray that God will soften us up on the inside. Anybody, she was explaining it back there in the role of marriage. Anytime you have a relationship with another person, uh, especially within marriage, you find out real quick that it's, it's, you, you, it's not all about you, right? Because if you do, you'll be at the courthouse within a year. It's all about you, right? You've got to start compromising. But the thing with Jesus is it's a little bit different. Is It's not a lot of... It's all about Him. <laughs> there ain't a whole lot of this. Now, Jesus, if I do this, now you didn't know not a lot of that. Because, that, by the way, that's just, that's just pure selfishness. I'm just... And by the way, there are a lot of people that use Jesus that way. Give me this, I'll give you that. You do this, I'll do that. They're just, it's, at the end of the day, it's just about them. Coming to Him is saying it's all about you. Paul will tell us in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. My life that I live in the flesh, I live by my faith in the Son of God. My life is not about me. This is not my life anymore. It's about Him. Scooter and I were talking about this. Everything you do, every decision you make, needs. To, what would he think about it? What would he think about it? A few weeks ago, and I, I don't know why I'm bringing this up now. A few weeks ago, there was a uh, there was a big to do about the Confederate flag. Remember when all that went on? And I may offend you here, and if I do, I'm sorry about that. But I'm going to tell you uh, that will never. The Confederate flag will never darken my bumper sticker. It will never darken a T-shirt. It will never be found anywhere within me. Why? Because my mission in Christ is to win other people to Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that would compromise that mission, it's out the door. It has no place in my life. You do not offend people. You understand that? I don't care what you think about it. You get rid of it because my mission is about Him. It's not about me anymore. It's not about what I think is right. It's about what does this Bible say? See, that's the, that's the switch that's going on now. And so that's what he's changing. And so I have to pray that my heart will be soft enough to recognize those things, right? And not just set myself and say, I don't care what they say. I'm going to do this. No, that's not, a, that's not a humble heart, a soft heart. So that's what we have to pray for because, by the way, that you can't change that. All you can do is feed on the Word and then you pray the Holy Spirit uses that to, to change you. Let's tie it back to first one and then we'll close. Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. As we said earlier, if you believe that Paul is a messenger sent from Christ, it means that when you read Galatians, you are reading the very words of Jesus. When you hear Paul's message, you're hearing what Paul says. Our role is not to be satisfied with simplistic teaching that only gives us hazy notions about what Scripture means. We will study, and we will analyze, and we will define, and stare, and sketch, and research, and ponder, and we'll do all that until we figure out what it means, and then we will pray that God will humble our heart, to, that we will bow down and submit our lives to the authority of that Scripture. So read your Bible, not as a duty, not as something you get up every morning and check off your... By the way... I did that for years. Get up, read my Bible, check it off. At the end of the day, what did you read this morning? I had no clue. 
because I was just doing it to check it off my list. I was not doing it to learn more about Jesus. Read your Bible to learn more about Jesus. To see His glory. To see who He is. And in all of it, pray that the Holy Spirit will renew your mind so that you'll not only understand what you read, but you'll have a humble heart that will help you submit to the authority of what He says as the will of God for your life. In the end, we all know that those who believe in Christ Jesus are already blood-bought new creatures. By the way, I am a Christian. I'm going to heaven. There is no doubt about it. In His eyes, I am absolutely perfect. Does everybody get that? And when He looks at me, He sees me as absolutely perfect. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All the old things are gone. But guess what? We have to become in practice what we already are in reality. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And watch what he says, as you really are unleavened. Now that's a whole other lesson right there. <laughs> Let's become in practice what, he, what we really already are in Christ. That's our job here on this life. Become in practice what we are. Become in this present age what we will be in the, in the new age. Finally, one more quick thing. Remember, anybody remember Demas? He was a friend of Paul's. Um, Paul wrote this, and when he wrote his letter to, Tech, to Timothy, he said this, Demas has deserted me. Why? Because he's in love with the present age. Man, how sad is that? Demas has deserted me because he's in love with the present age. You see, deliverance from the present evil age means freedom not to love this present evil age, not to think like this present evil age. Because we don't think like it, we don't, we don't love it. True freedom begins with a changed heart and a changed mind so that we find our satisfaction in new and higher ways than this age can offer. Paul says in Galatians, it's not 5.1, I did it again. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus Christ not only died to deliver us from the curse of the law, to deliver us from the wrath of God, but He died to deliver us from, from slavery to this present age. Why in the world would we ever dip our foot in it? Why in the world would we ever submit ourselves back to that trash that He's transformed us um, out of? Okay, let's pray. Thank y'all. Father, I thank you for Galatians 1 through 5. We thank you for uh, uh, these words of Paul. And Lord, we just pray in the weeks and months ahead as we go through this, God, that you will just help us um, not only to, to, to just come in here and be here and, and understand the Scripture, but through this book, see the glory of Jesus.